Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to CNN Tonight. I'm Jake Tapper. On stage tonight, what might be the most important debate of this entire midterm election cycle. Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock versus Republican candidate Herschel Walker in Savannah, Georgia, a race that could very well decide which party will control the U.S. Senate for the next two years. So yes, the stakes would already be insanely high, even if the Republican candidate wasn't facing a major scandal about whether or not he paid for an ex-girlfriend's abortion despite running on an anti-abortion platform. Here's how Herschel Walker addressed his ex-girlfriend's accusation just a few minutes ago. I said, that's a lie. And on abortion, you know, I'm a Christian. I believe in life. And I tell people this, Georgia is a state that respects life, and I'll be a senator that, that protects life. And I said, that was a lie, and I'm not backing down. We'll get back to that scandal in Georgia in just a moment, but to understand exactly what's happening there regarding scandals requires a little context because the term scandal took on a whole new meaning with Teflon Don, starting with his ride down that golden escalator in the summer of 2015, which led to bragging about committing sexual assault, demonizing entire religions and ethnic groups, paying hush money to a porn actress for a sexcapade while his wife was home with their new baby, two impeachments, one insurrection, so many calamities, I do not have time to go into them all in this hour. Let me try to remind you that before that, we were in a very different place. Historically, the word scandal has been thrown around pretty loosely here in the nation's capital. Back in 1992, then-Vice President Dan Quayle hosted a spelling bee at a New Jersey elementary school and told this poor kid he needed to add an E to the end of the word potato, a spelling scandal. How quaint. For the record, Quayle was working from an inaccurate flashcard prepared by the teacher That in and of itself might be indicative of an even bigger, more important problem. But the press thought Quayle was a dunce, so they had at it. Let's be frank. Some of these scandals have been way overblown or unfair. I mean, oh, how I long for those halcyon days when a Republican candidate would be savaged in the press for pursuing gender equity. We took a concerted effort to go out and find women who had backgrounds that could be qualified to become members of our cabinet. I went to a number of women's groups and said, can you help us find folks? And they brought us whole binders full of uh, of women. Binders full of women, believe it or not, the press savaged him for that. I mean, the horror. Can you imagine Mitt Romney wanted to make an effort to hire women? What a jerk. Now, right-wing media got their idiotic licks in too, of course, jumping on President Obama for, well, for just about everything. When President Obama saluted a Marine while holding a coffee cup, or when he made a comment about buying arugula at Whole Foods, and lest we forget this moment between the future president and future first lady, which on that other channel became this. A fist bump, a pound, a terrorist fist jab. A terrorist fist jab. Good Lord. So those scandals, they weren't real. They were stupid. 
A real scandal is when a politician does something actually corrupt, such as steal money from taxpayers or take bribes. Not campaign contributions, those are generally legal bribery. I mean more like the Keating Five. Do you remember the Keating Five? Senators from both parties accused of intervening in a regulatory investigation of this rich dude by the Federal Home Loan Bank Board. There was... Okay, I get it. You're dozing off. And that's okay. Because the Keating Five story is complicated, and the more complicated the scandal gets, the more likely voters are inclined to forgive or forget or not even attempt to care. But there is one topic that voters do decidedly understand. Salt and pepper, they knew what they were talking about, which of course brings us to this. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. Of course he did. And he set a standard for scandal survival followed today. Lying and denying, demonizing his critics, and keeping on, keeping on. And despite getting impeached, Clinton's political career survived. Hell, they even named an airport after him. But to be frank, or rather to be Ted, this was nothing. I mean, have you ever tried to tell the story of Senator Ted Kennedy and Chappaquiddick to a young person? I mean, they truly cannot fathom it. When Kennedy was a sitting senator in Massachusetts, the bereaved brother of the recently assassinated RFK, and before that, JFK, did something that is almost unimaginable. On Chappaquiddick Island, off Martha's Vineyard, I attended on Friday evening, July 18th, a cookout I had encouraged and helped sponsor for a devoted group of Kennedy campaign secretaries. When I left the party around 11.15 p.m., I was accompanied by one of these girls, Miss Mary Jo Kopechny. That woman, Mary Jo Kopechny, was killed that night in 1969 after Senator Kennedy drove his car off a bridge. Kennedy did not report the accident until the next day. The next day. And if that blows your mind, consider this. Not only did Kennedy survive politically with the help of his powerful, wealthy brood and perhaps some misplaced voter empathy, within a decade, Senator Kennedy was running for president. I guess he didn't think pleading guilty to leaving the scene of an accident would matter that much to voters. And maybe maybe he was right. After all, he did manage to get reelected to the Senate seven more times. Of course, plenty of other politicians were drummed out of office for much inarguably lesser sins, ones with no corpses in their wake, such as the tragically named Congressman Anthony Weiner, who initially lied about accidentally tweeting photos of his namesake, which ended up revealing that Weiner had been sending similar messages, some of them pretty gross, to plenty of women, not his wife. Weiner eventually confessed and resigned from Congress in 2011. To be clear, the picture was of me, and I sent it. I lied because I was ashamed of what I had done and didn't want to get caught. Four years before that was Republican Senator Larry Craig, perhaps best known for his 2007 charge for trying to solicit sex in an airport bathroom. Craig claimed it was all just a misunderstanding. He was not toe-tapping for an anonymous rendezvous with the dude in the next stall. He just had a wide stance, he said. The charge against him had more sting since Craig had been a vocal opponent of gay and lesbian rights in the Senate. 
Which brings me back to Herschel Walker, because it's not the sex that voters really object to here. It's the hypocrisy, not just about abortion, but about family. Here's Herschel Walker's own son, Christian. My father, Herschel Walker, had all these random kids across the country, none of whom he raised. Family values people. He has four kids, four different women, wasn't in the house raising one of them. He was out having sex with other women. As conservative columnist Peggy Noonan put it in the Wall Street Journal, quote, it is about children born and the father says to the mother, you can raise it by yourself or you can abort it, but I won't help you raise it and act as a father, unquote. Even before this latest uproar, Republicans who want to win the Senate were privately grousing that the former football star did not seem like a great catch. This attack ad from Republicans featured one of Herschel Walker's ex-wives describing his violent threats to her. First time he held the gun to my head, he held the gun to my temple and said he was going to blow my brains out. Herschel Walker claims he does not remember the threats because he suffered from dissociative identity disorder, formerly known as multiple personalities. As we head into the midterm elections, candidates are counting on you to ignore evidence of their many failings in this post-scandal world in which we find ourselves. The argument essentially being that, for conservatives, hey, Donald Trump gave us the U.S. Supreme Court. Who cares how many women have accused him of sexual assault? It's tribalism above all else, including the importance of character. In other words, this. I am concerned about one thing and one thing only at this point. So I don't care if Herschel Walker paid to abort endangered baby eagles. I want control of the Senate. It's an argument to which conservative writer John Daly responds, quote, if there are no standards that candidates must meet in order to get your vote, we're telling such candidates that we will hold them to no standards nor even expectations once they're in office, unquote. And is that not the point here in this post-scandal world? We're all flawed. We all have the capacity to grow and change or not. But if a candidate is proudly, nakedly, hideously amoral or immoral before taking office, what makes you think that getting control to the levers of power is going to bring out anything other than more of the same, if not worse? What makes you think They're going to do anything for the United States or the least among us, for you. I mean, you cannot shame the shameless. So who does a politician call when steeped in scandal? Well, if they're smart, they'll call the chief media advisor to five successful presidential primary and general election campaigns. So let's do that. Paging the spin doctor, Mark McKinnon. Mark's going to join us live from the Walker Warnock debate site in Savannah, Georgia. That's next. Welcome back. A fiery night on the debate stage in Savannah, Georgia. Herschel Walker, the Republican, digging in, insisting that the allegations that he asked a former girlfriend to get an abortion are, quote, all lies. The controversy that has dominated headlines in that race for more than a week was only brought up once throughout the 60-minute debate. Walker's opponent, sitting Senator Raphael Warnock, the Democrat, chose to not engage in the issue. He opted instead to question um, Walker's relationship with the truth. We will see time and time again tonight, as we've already seen, 
that my opponent has a problem with the truth. And just because he said something doesn't mean it's true. Joining us now to discuss is the former political advisor to President George W. Bush, among many others, and current creator and co-host of Showtime's The Circus, Mark McKinnon. He was at the debate in Georgia tonight. And Mark, I just realized I've known you for 23 years. Oh, my God. Um, so how do you think... Goes, I remember when you were the bad boy of the press corps. <laughs> <laughs> just because I wore a leather George jacket. George W. Bush and um, me. How do, how do you think tonight went for, for Walker and Warnock? Just give us your, your rough assessment. Well, Jake... I mean, unlike forensic debates that are scored on, you know, who makes the most cogent argument, who presents the most facts, political debates are 100 percent about expectations. Herschel Walker couldn't have had lower expectations. Warnock had very high expectations. And Walker, and listen, this is not just me talking. I've talked to lots of friends, Republicans and Democrats across the board, think that Herschel Walker exceeded expectations and that Warnock did not meet expectations. I mean, he reminded me of Al Gore in the George W. Bush debates. It didn't seem like you really wanted to be there. And you make a great point, Jake, uh, in the intro about abortion. First of all, it's the number one issue in this race in terms of the crisis that Walker's facing. It's also the number one issue for a lot of voters in America, and it literally got 30 seconds of attention tonight. And why Warnock has chosen, and he clearly has chosen st strategically not to engage on that issue, is, is unclear to me. And I wish there'd been more follow-up from the journalists as well, because, I mean, when you, Herschel Walker may deny it, but the fact is that this woman has shown receipts. She's shown a get well card and a $700 receipt that Walker allegedly sent to her, uh, which has not been disproven. So it seems to me that that issue specifically, but also more broadly as an issue uh, post the Hobbs decision, was likely to get a lot more attention tonight and just didn't. It's really shocking. Um, so obviously you think it's a mistake that Senator Warnock has not addressed uh, this issue more, more forcefully or even at all. Uh, how would you advise that he do it? Because obviously he's worried about the sensitivities here. Well, I think you just have to take it heads up. And, and you know, as, as many people have observed, there's the issue of the abortion itself, which, to your point, is all about hypocrisy. This is a guy who says that, you know, at one point in this campaign said he supported no exceptions. He's kind of waffling about on that now, too. But to, to hold that position and then to have, you know, contrary personal conduct on it says a lot about character. Um, and the fact is that, that you have to confront it in a way to say that this is about care, but also to Christian Walker's point, it's much more than just about abortion. It's about personal responsibility and family. And Walker makes a big point of being a family man. Well, there's nobody in his family that says he's been a good family man. I would have pointed that out if I were Warnock. At times, uh, it seemed as though it was a bit chaotic on the debate stage. At one point, Senator Warnock did bring up Herschel Walker's past false insinuation that he had been in law enforcement, had trained with the FBI. Uh, let's take a listen. One thing I have not done, I've never pretended to be a police officer. And, and, and I've, never, I've never threatened a shootout with the police. And you know what's so funny? I am work with many police officers, <laughs> and at the same time, Mr. Walker, Mr. Walker, no, 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 Mr. Walker, no, no. When Mr. Walker, excuse me, truth, Mr. Walker, when please, he say a problem out of with respect, the truth, the truth I, I, I need here. to let you know, Mr. Yes. Walker, you are very well yes. aware of the rules tonight, yes, and you have a prop. Yes. That is not allowed, sir. Yes. I ask you to put that prop away. Well, it's not a prop. It, it this is, is real. And he said, I but, have a problem. I never went to law enforcement. It is considered a prop, Mr. Mr. Walker. Oh, yes. Excuse me, sir. Yes. You're very well aware of the rules, aren't you? Well, aren't he, you aware of he the rules? brought up the truth. Wait. Let's talk about the truth. So it's an odd 
thing. He's not a member of law enforcement. I don't know where that honorary badge came from. It, it almost doesn't matter. How did that play at the debate? Pretty contentious. Uh, I mean, I think there's two issues there. There's one, which is, you know, ha ha to the extent, what to what extent has Walker represented that he is somehow officially or unofficially part of law enforcement, which apparently he has done before. And then, of course, the fact that he violated the rules by pulling out the badge. So I think that that issue will get litigated. I think that's kind of the one vulnerability I'd point out for uh, Walker tonight. And I think there'll be some follow-up and some cleanup on aisle three on that. The cleanup for, for I think, the for Warnock is going to be on the issue of Ebenezer Baptist Church and, and these evictions. Very unclear about what's happening there and what the truth of the matter is, but he didn't knock that down entirely. He used uh, Martin Luther King as a shield to sort of say you can't attack the church of Martin Luther King, but it's still quite unclear what the story is on, on those evictions, Jake. So you were talking earlier about low expectations, um, and um, no offense to Sarah Palin, but Back in the 2008 presidential campaign, uh, you were prepping her for her debate with then-vice presidential candidate Joe Biden. There were low expectations uh, for her. Let's watch this moment uh, from the circus that's going to air uh, this Sunday. Then we go in later to do the debate prep, and 10 minutes into it, like two or three questions in, and she locks up completely. And it's a pretty basic question. And it was like, what would our basic foreign policy be towards NATO? And she's like, what's NATO? And then everything like stops. We all walk outside. Mark Wallace and stares at me. He's like, what do you think? I said, oh God, we are f So how does one manage the art of low expectations? It sounds like Herschel Walker did it, and his team did a pretty good job of that. Uh, they did a great job, Jake, and, and, you know, I mean, it was Walker that came out, I don't know, a week or so ago and said, listen, you know, I'll just be honest with you, I'm not, I'm not that good an orator, uh, you know, I'm just a poor old country boy that played football, and I'm going to be up against this really articulate pastor who's been doing this for a living, you know, he's been in Washington, you know, dealing with politicians, and he's a, you know, he's a slick talker, and I'm not, but I just tell it like it is, and so that, that was, uh, you know, a very, very kind of standard, lower in the bar. Hey, you know, I, you know, I'm just a dumb country boy. And then, you know, then all he's got to do when he walks on the stage is complete a couple sentences, and and he's beaten expectations. But he did a lot more than that tonight, Jake. I mean, uh, you know, he he, you know, he was clearly prepped. I think uh, Newt Gingrich and Lindsey Graham had a hand in that, but uh, they know what they're doing. And Walker clearly followed their followed instructions tonight. So we only have a, a less than a minute left. You were in Ohio this week. Tell me about some of the general trends you're seeing uh, out there in the closing weeks. Well, you know, this election has really kind of seen three waves. There was the wave sort of in the spring where it looked like Republicans were just going to crush Democrats, huge blue wave, Biden really having trouble. Then Biden had a good summer, passed a lot of legislation, had some things for Democrats to talk about, and then you had the Hobbs decision. So things kind of shifted back Democrats' way. Now we have the bad inflation report. There's a sense that Republicans are getting some momentum just because the economy and inflation are really kicking in. But this is really a, 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 it's, it's a race that's really clearly divided between Democrats who care about protecting democracy and abortion rights and, and, and Republicans who are talking about crime and immigration and the economy. So it depends on what voters care about. We don't really have a precedent for this exactly this type of election. So. We only have the past to judge, and this is clearly a, a new ballgame. So uh, stand by. All right, Mark McKinnon, so good to see you. Thank you so much. Kick it, Jake. So you know this Republican broken record? Our greatest concerns right now is the economy of America. Soaring prices are crushing 
crushing the American people. Reckless government spending has sent our economy into a downward spiral. That does seem to be the last thing the Democrats want to talk about. But Vermont Independent Senator Bernie Sanders says ignoring the economy, not talking about the economy on the campaign trail is political malpractice. And he's here with a warning to the Democrats. That's next. Many Democratic candidates, if not most, are embracing a focus on one particular potent issue in their closing messages to voters ahead of the midterm elections. Life. The only candidate fighting for abortion rights. I'll never stop fighting for your right to choose. Politico reports that Democratic candidates, campaigns, and supportive super PACs have spent nearly $18 million to air more than 100 abortion rights-centered broadcast TV ads in some four dozen battleground states. But Senator Bernie Sanders says that focus, exclusive focus, is a huge mistake. Senator Sanders is with us. Thanks so much for joining us. Tell us why you think that's a mistake. Well, Jake, first of all, I happen to believe that the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe versus Wade is an absolute outrage. I think Democrats have got to fight to make sure that it is women who control their own bodies, not the government. So I think this is a very important issue. But I don't believe it can be the only issue. Uh, At a time when we have an economy in which the wealthiest people, the billionaire class, are getting much, much richer, while working people are struggling to put food on the table, it goes without saying that we have got to focus on the economy and demand that we have a government that works for all of us and not just wealthy campaign contributors. And the irony here is Republicans say, you know, they talk about the economy. Really, not one of them is going to vote to raise the minimum wage to a living wage. Not one of them is going to vote for legislation that makes it easier for workers to join unions. Mm -hmm. Not one of them is going to vote to do what every other major country on earth does and guarantee health care for all people. Nor will they vote to raise taxes on billionaires at a time when the richest people in this country, in some cases, pay nothing in federal income tax. So, so I happen to think the Republican line is phony and Democrats have got to respond. So might the concern be among Democratic strategists that, hey, Democrats are the party in power underlying the economic problems that you just underlined might be underlying the failure of the Democratic Party, which controls the House, the Senate and the White House to deliver. Well, that's simply just not accurate. The truth is that inflation, which is a very serious problem in our country, is a global problem. Uh, In the UK and in Europe, in many cases, it is worse than it is here in the United States. So to blame Joe Biden for it just doesn't make any sense at all. What the inflation crisis is about is broken supply chains. It's the war in Ukraine. And I'll tell you, Jake, what else it's about. It's about the incredible level of corporate greed that we are now seeing. People go to the gas pumps. Prices are very high, lower than they were a while ago, but too high. Understand that the oil companies, the big oil companies, ExxonMobil and the others, are making record-breaking profits. You can't afford prescription drugs. Well, understand that the pharmaceutical industry is making huge profits. Food industry, huge profits. So in my view, what's been going on is a lot of these large corporations 
are taking advantage of the terrible war in the Ukraine, taking advantage of the breaks in supply chain, and just raising prices to an outrageous level. And I think we've got to go after them uh, on that. What do you make of the argument from Democratic former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers, who last year was sounding the alarm about inflation, saying that the government had been pumping too much money into the economy, both during uh, the early days of COVID, with starting with Trump and, and throughout the first year of the Biden administration, he was warning that inflation was going to be really bad. And now he's saying, essentially, I told you so. Yeah, well, I guess he told the government of the UK that, and he told governments all over the world, inflation is a global problem. In many countries, it is worse than it is in the United States. Now, Larry Summers, I know Larry, and does a good job representing his Wall Street interests. But I think it is time we had a government that stood up for working families. And the questions that we should be asking ourselves is why do we pay the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs when the pharmaceutical industry makes huge profits? Why are we the only major country on earth not to guarantee health care to all people? Why do you have half of the elderly people in this country earning less than 25000 a year? And you got Republicans out there who want to cut Social Security. They want to cut Medicare. They want to cut Medicaid so they can give more tax breaks to their billionaire friends. Those are the kinds of issues that we need to be discussing, in my view. Right. But that's my point. I mean, the issues that you feel passionately about, paid family and medical leave, college affordability, home health care, housing, child care assistance. Uh, right. you, you tried to get all those things done. They got cut from the Democratic proposal. I mean, there are Democrats out there, progressives who are big Bernie Sanders supporters who are saying, why should we vote for Democrats? Bernie, you've been fighting a good fight, but all that stuff got stripped from the legislation that passed the House and right, Senate. Jake, and good question. Go ahead. All right, Jake, that is an excellent question. And let me give you the simple answer. The simple answer is, with President Biden's strong support, we presented a piece of legislation called Build Back Better, which in many ways would have done more for the working class and the middle class of this country than any legislation passed in the last 50 or 60 years. It was transformative. We had zero Republican support, not one Republican who believe that we should deal with child care, that we should deal with uh, health care, that we should deal with education. Not one Republican supporting it. Unfortunately, in a Senate that is 50-50, 50 Republicans, 50 people in the Democratic caucus, there were two corporate Democrats who chose not to support what the president and I and the vast majority of the caucus wanted. That's the reality. We had 48 votes. We couldn't get 50. My hope is that we will elect two more Democrats, so we'll have 52 in the Senate, so that we can begin to address the long-neglected needs of working families. It is just not acceptable that we have more income and wealth inequality today than we've ever had in this country. It's not acceptable that you got a half a million people who are homeless in America, rents mm. are soaring, and we're not building the kind of low and moderate income housing that we need. We need an agenda that speaks to the needs of working families and not wealthy campaign contributors. Senator Bernie Sanders, always good to hear your views. Please come back. We love having you on. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Jacob.
The crackdown against anti-government protesters in Iran is frankly brutal to watch, but the protests are also bringing hope to young women fighting against decades of repression, segregation, zealotry, misogyny. One of those voices in this country is actress and activist Nazadine Bonyadi, who today took her fight to Washington, D.C. She joins us next. Women, life, freedom. That's the chant that has dominated mass protests across Iran over the past month, coupled with scenes of women cutting their hair and burning their headscarves in defiance of the Islamic Republic's laws against women showing their hair in public, forcing women to wear hijabs. But what began as unrest over the death, perhaps murder, of 22-year-old Masa Gina Amini, who showed her hair in public and died in the custody of Iran's so-called morality police, has become so much more, especially as more women, including two 16-year-old girls, have become new faces of the movement, both of them killed while joining in protests, their bodies later returned to their families, bruised and disfigured. They are among at least 144 people killed by Iran's security forces since protests began, according to Amnesty International. CNN cannot independently verify the death toll. A precise figure is impossible for anyone outside the Iranian government to confirm. What we do know for certain is that Iranian authorities are intensifying their violent crackdown on these women and children, firing metal pellets and live ammunition into crowds, beating people with batons. More than 1,000 people have been arrested across the country, some of them students being taken to psychiatric institutions. Situation so dire that Secretary of State Tony Blinken and Vice President Kamala Harris met today with Iranian activists, including one whom you may recognize. That's Nazanin Bonyadi, who joins us now. She's advocated for human rights in Iran for years. She's also in the new Amazon series, Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, the season finale of which dropped today. And I will ask you about that, I promise. But I know more important than that is uh, what's going on in Iran. I want to know what you asked during the meeting with Secretary of State Blinken and Vice President Harris. Did you come away with any assurances that the U.S. will do more? Thanks for having me, Jake. I walked away hopeful. Um, I'm very grateful to the administration for making the time for us today. Um, And, you know, the message was that the people of Iran are looking to every democratic leader in the the world to stand by them unequivocally, just as we did with the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa, just as we did for the people of Ukraine. Um, They deserve and are demanding that we stand by them in the same way. Um, And I was assured by the administration they will do everything they can to ensure accountability um, of of the crimes committed by by the Islamic Republic against its own people. As you know, we've had a 43-year case study now on the Islamic Republic. And we've come to the conclusion, based on everything we've seen, that reform the reform movement is dead. Nobody's calling for reform. Everybody on the ground in Iran wants the theocracy gone. And that message needs to, our our policy with Iran needs to reflect what's happening on the ground over there. And I know even before this latest uprising, you dedicated your performance in the rings of power to the women of Iran. So that was even before this 
these protests. What, what does it mean to, for you personally to see women and girls at the forefront of this fight? I mean, the bitter irony of two months before Masa Amini's murder, um, I was at San Diego Comic-Con and this, this role that I'm playing, Bronwyn in Lord of the Rings, um, Rings of Power, there's so much resilience and tenacity and I drew such inspiration from my 14 years of, of advocating for these women, these brave women who are at the forefront of the fight for de- freedom and democracy. Little did I know in that moment that just two months later, I would be um, you know, outside the federal building in Los Angeles uh, giving a speech to 20,000 protesters who are standing in solidarity with the Iranian people. And this global galvanization uprising in support of this movement is, is a watershed moment that we need to pay attention to because there's nothing more important than freedom. We have to stand by our principles and we have to ensure that the people of Iran feel um, that the the Democrats in Iran who are fighting for their freedom feel supported. Small D Democrats, supporting democracy Democrats. Democrats. You understand the fear that comes with uh, Iran's morality uh, police. You had a run in with uh, them when you were just 12 years old. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I was born in Iran 20 days when uh, after the revolution, my parents had to escape they were um, political refugees opposed the Islamic Republic. Um, and I grew up in London. When I was 12, my mother took me to Iran to visit family. And I was walking down the street um, with my mother walking two, three steps behind myself and my uncle walking side by side. And, and a plainclothes militia, a Basiji uh, or a, a morality police man walked up to us and, and asked us, demanded that we presented paper, um, papers, marriage papers or certificates. And I was forced to wear a hijab at the age of 12, which was in and of itself something that I was not accustomed to, having that freedom taken away from me. But that was such a harrowing experience that I would be questioned about me just walking um, with my uncle um, that I remember thinking how important it is that, that the girls in Iran are supported against these injustices that they face. So to be here and to be able to talk to the administration today as I witness these brave girls in Iran who are taking the, off their headscarves and defiantly standing up against this oppressive regime fearlessly, despite the fact that they know that it could end, it could end up with them being beaten. Today, there was a report that in northwest Iran, um, a, ten, a, girl, a girl's school, high school, was um, raided by the security, uh, security forces and 10 girls were beaten mm-hmm. um, uh, to the point of, of serious injury and one has reportedly died today. It's just amazing how much uh, zealous uh, religions are are fundamentally about oppressing women and girls. Yes. It's, I mean, not just Islam, but religions across the board. What do you want the Biden administration to do? And what do people watching outside, what can they do? I, I would like everyone to, there's an Amnesty International petition uh, to, to call for an accountability mechanism, an international accountability mechanism. Because what we're not doing is we're not gathering enough uh, documentation to be able to somehow hold the Iranian authorities to account. Um, that is very important. Otherwise, these uprisings happen, they get cracked down, and yeah. they repeat themselves. Yep. So we need an international mechanism to stop this from happening. Um, so these petitions are very important. The hashtags, even though people think they don't matter, over 200 million hashtags of Massa Amini's name have, cre- have created a groundswell. Um, and they, they allow for people in Iran to have hope. And that, there's, that's, not nothing, that's not for nothing. But more importantly, I think that the, what I'm looking for is female leaders, Jacinda Ardern, Liz Truss, please 
stand unequivocally with the women of Iran, I, I beg you. We are looking to female leaders. Um, the Vice President Harris today was very inspiring in, in, in what she said. Um, and if you look at the rhetoric that came out of like uh, Joe Biden, then Senator Joe Biden in 1986 mm-hmm. addressed the Senate and unequivocally stood with the people of South Africa, majority black South Africans, and said, our loyalty is to the people and not to the regime, the apartheid regime of South Africa. That's what we want. All right, stick with us. We have more questions for you. Uh, we're going to take a trip to Middle Earth because the character you're playing in this new series, The Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, is to put it bluntly, an orc slaying badass. So we're going to ask you what inspired you to play Bronwyn. That's coming up. you have awaited but if you choose to stand with me and fight this tower will no longer be a reminder of our frailty but a symbol of our strength who will stand with me who among you will stand and fight that's a a rousing speech from the character Bronwyn as she rallies for people to battle in Amazon's new fantasy series, The Rings of Power. The story, of course, is a prequel set thousands of years before the events of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Nazanin Bonyadi, who plays Bronwyn, uh, is back with me. So what's unique about your character is that she breaks the rules for a lead character in this fantasy genre. Single mom, mm-hmm. teenage son, no magic powers, caught in this forbidden love with an elf. I've been there. Just joking. Um, what did you? What do you like about playing Bronwyn? I, I can see why you have dedicated this role, your performance, to the women of Iran. I can see that. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because that that scene that you just showed was one of my audition scenes, and I remember doing the scene and thinking the inspiration is clearly this. This woman is. It's, it's a, I'm talking to the Iranian people of like, you know, we can do this and let's overcome tyranny and darkness and the shackles of our past and all these things that she says and. Um, that just resonated with me. And I just think anyone who champions anyone else or or is trying to sort of give voice to somebody else or motivate people or inspire people to take action, um, I think this role resonates with them. So I think, you know, essentially she's um, an unassuming or, um, you know, she's a a leader, but she didn't choose to be a leader. Um, And I love that about her, hugely multifaceted. And I think her inspiration is love, love, um, she's driven by love for her son, love for this elf, Arondir, and the love for her people. And I always say in my advocacy work, Jake, that there's two routes you can take. One is your hatred of oppressors. You can be driven by that in your advocacy or your love for the disenfranchised. Yeah. And if you choose your love for the disenfranchised, A, you can get a lot more done. Um, and B, there's less burnout because you're not constantly consumed with this, this hatred. Yeah. Um, so I think in that sense, there's a lot of sort of resonance with this character as well. Yeah, it, I could see it. Um, the, the, the show is very popular, critically acclaimed, uh, doing really well, picked up for a second season. Um, when it debuted, there was some criticism from conservatives and from J.R.R. Tolkien purists mm-hmm. uh, because the show had... Uh, women and people of color. Uh, what did you make of that? 
well, yeah, it has a lot of strong female characters, which I absolutely love. Um, and, you know, it's not unprecedented for Tolkien. I mean, Galadriel, the lead of the show, is a strong um, female character and very much a Tolkien character and, and part of the canon. So I think that criticism doesn't make much sense. But as far as the race race diversity go, issue goes, we've tuned that out um, because essentially you, you're watching a fantasy show right. um, uh, of various creeds and cultures, elves and dwarves and harfets and humans and Numenorians um, coming together, uniting to overcome evil. And what better way to, to represent that fellowship than to bring people of various creeds and cultures and races together to portray those characters. That, to me, makes perfect sense. Yeah, I thought it was pretty insipid. My, my response when we were talking about it in the office was, they're elves, <laughs> you know, they're hobbits. What are we talking yeah. about here? She, she's a mermaid. Let it yeah. go. Anyway, uh, Nazanin Bonyadi, it's so great to see you again. Thank, Thank you. you so much. So people know, we met at a Council on Foreign Relations event uh, a decade ago. She's been doing this stuff for a long time. Thank, Thank you so much for being Thanks, here. Jim. Thank we'll you. be right back. Thanks so much for joining us tonight and this week in our 9 p.m. experiment. Until next week, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the TikTok at Jake Knapper. Our coverage continues now with the magnificent Laura Coates and the excellent Allison Camerata. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.